Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hello, I'm your host, Steffi Pilarinu, and today I have a guest, a frequent guest with us, Dr. Elko Fiole, who um, has been with us uh, this year, um, earlier in the summer, to discuss um, the Terra Luna blow-up and the, the governance issues around that. And earlier this year, we were discussing about governance in the tokenization space. Let me welcome you, uh, Elko. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much, Effie. Unfortunately, we have here another, um, if you want, uh, painful experience in the crypto space, although we'll have the opportunity to discuss. It's not really... Um, endemic to the crypto business per se or to to the nature of the asset but rather uh, to to a broader uh, issue and why don't we start by maybe highlighting two or three of the main violations and I'd like to to sort of zoom into governance business violations that you see from this um, debacle with FTX and of course from what we know up to now because of course it's a very complicated case with many I understand entities 134 entities globally different um, jurisdictions involved what would be the two or three big ones and again around governance yeah violations that's an excellent question uh of course we all look at the juicy elements a bunch of kids around the pool in the bahamas and so on but uh, uh from a more let's say dr- almost drier perspective there are indeed two three big governance lapses i think uh the most important one number one is the complete lack of understanding by uh, by the management of FTX that they are dealing with other people's money and as a result um, they they have fiduciary responsibility and this means that they need to place the interest of the of customers and investors above their own interests. So commingling funds is clearly a violation uh, of that right there. Part of that fiduciary duty uh, are things like prudence, uh, loyalty, uh, care, candor, uh, all things which in the investment space are very well described. And, and that's something that was uh, clearly not uh, not uphold at all. There's no trace if you, if you think about the comments uh, by the liquidator that we've all seen, uh, there was no trace of, of understanding of fiduciary responsibility. The second big governance lapse was that um, there was basically no board. And so that meant, that means that um, that the senior management SVF could uh, do whatever they want without any reflection, without any input. 
And the function of a board, uh, or one of the functions, is of course to look on behalf of investors that the company is robust and has robust processes and controls in place, uh, and which enables strategy to be uh, reached. And so, without a board, um, uh, no oversight over controls. And we also know by now that there were basically no controls uh, within within the company, within the group. Uh, and so uh, that is a, that is a red, big red flag right there. Um, uh, and we're going to speak about red flags a lot, I would think. And the third one for the moment, and, and you've highlighted this already, there was an enormous amount of legal vehicles, over 130 uh, uh, companies, which um, you, know, you have to almost ask yourself, what was the intention behind it? This was uh, made so complex. And um, anybody who runs a bigger organization with many vehicles knows um, uh, how much time and effort it costs to maintain those legal vehicles, but also um, to watch out for a, a huge amount of conflicts of interest within the group. I'm not even talking about the conflicts of interest potentially with uh, FTX investing in the VC firm that invested in them, but just, you know, conflicts of interest within the group already uh, and also the uh, the diverging incentives that all those entities uh, would have. Uh, and so uh, this makes this complexity basically makes it very difficult to govern in the first place. So even if you had a board or, or have all kinds of boards below that, it will be very difficult to, to run that. And so um, I think the lack of fiduciary duty, uh, of fiduciary responsibility and understanding that, um, uh, the absence of a board, let alone a decent board, and the third thing, the uh, the complexity in the legal structure, uh, were, were clear uh, governance violations right there. But Elko, is uh, the fact that there were so many entities, is it sort of, should we think that maybe it's typical of a business that is global, like an exchange and therefore has to have different entities in different jurisdictions. But I guess, you know, I'm sure, I mean, we have more than 130 countries globally, but um, I don't think that's that's the excuse. But in, in your um, experience, are most of these businesses with so many entities because of the complexities of, of regulation? Um, you know, I think that the regulation here, uh, and we'll speak about it in a moment, I'm certain, um, to a large extent is still uh, absent, uh, is, is um, even if there is regulation for exchanges, of course, then um, it smells here that there was uh, maybe jurisdiction shopping. I can imagine that you need entities uh, for as special purpose vehicles for, for transactions, for one-off transactions, maybe even for, for specific clients. Um, and then there is, of course, the case of, as I say, jurisdiction shopping, where can I get stuff done with the, the least level of oversight, not only in terms of uh, regulations being in place, but also how much um, you know, focus will an, a regulator have, and typically, if you go into smaller jurisdictions, then those regulators uh, uh, do not have a huge amount of staff to, to regulate the whole financial center uh, to, to that level. And so, uh, as I say, it will be interesting to understand what was the intent 
uh, of building that huge network of legal entity entities and, and where these entities also then maintained uh, because sometimes if you have the transaction done you don't need the entity anymore you want to close it down because the more entities you got hanging around the more complex the whole thing uh, uh, becomes mind you these entities also need administration right there's accounting going on there's uh, administrative services going on and so that all needs to be managed and that is just operational complexity that uh, that you don't need yeah Elko, you mentioned you know the lack of uh, regulation uh, overall that we are all uh, familiar with um i know that you know you um lecture and and um speak about these issues especially governance and due diligence in this environment that is not an environment that is uh, you know, seasoned, that we have regulations or or practices um, that are deployed, you know, for, for a long time. But can you share with us some perspectives on that topic? And before we do that, give us also a distinction between due diligence and governance and whether we were lacking both in this case. <laughs> So the short answer is yes, we're lacking both. I think that's obvious. But having said that, um, due diligence is something that you do as a process uh, where you, we want to verify that the investment that you're about to make uh, actually is, uh, is is you know manageable and that you understand the risks. And so there are a couple of elements around due diligence. There's investment due diligence, risk, operational, legal uh, aspects, and so on. And, um, and once you've made your decision to invest uh, after, uh, you know, the investee company uh, successfully passes all of those stations, um, then the only uh, friend that you then have as an investor afterwards is, is the governance body that, that, uh, that an investee company has. Because you do this initial due diligence, you may want to do a fresh up uh, a year later, uh, let's say, but the ongoing oversight over the business is done by the people who represent you as an investor, and that's typically the board. And so the board, which uh, exercises governance, uh, and governance here, in this case, you could think about things like, are there controls in place? How robust are these controls? Is there risk management going on, et cetera? The regular reporting, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, that is sort of your, as I say, as an investor, that is your, your best friend. I would think that, uh, governance is also the best friend of the investee companies to, to project trust to investors and say, I know you can't visit me every day, but guess what? We've got governance in place so you can, uh, you know, you can breathe, right. sleep right? well. Yeah. You can sleep, you can sleep well. Now, you mentioned the regulatory piece. To the extent that regulations are not in place or, um, uh, or unclear, uh, we need to think about a, a few things. First of all, uh, regulations are sort of the minimum that a regulatory, a regulatory body is putting in place. And so it doesn't speak to all risks and it doesn't speak to all aspirations. And so we have to ask ourselves in a what I call pre-regulatory phase, as we are now in many of these innovative businesses, um, you know, what are then concepts that we can apply uh, already, you know, as, a, as, a, as an investee company, but also as an investor in terms of what are you looking for? Um, uh, you know, without waiting for a regulator to get in. And I think there is a responsibility there, call it the fiduciary responsibility, to already 
put stuff, uh, put some things in place. Um, if you are in uh, in this blockchain and crypto world, uh, we need to recognize that while this is highly innovative, um, innovation also brings unknown risks uh, and also unknown behaviors. And if you've seen, of course, uh, how much greed there is in this sector, then you can imagine that this has an effect on um, the uh, the behavior as well. Um, so I think that the, uh, the, the, as I said, there's a couple of principles that we can apply. So for example, you mentioned tokenization. If I if I speak to tokenizers, and I do this all the time, actually, you know, I would ask questions like, okay, how have you handled KYC? How have you looked at uh, ALM? And if then the, um, you know, the, 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 the third-year-old uh, uh, graduate in math, um, uh, sometimes they're genius, many times they're not, but then looks at me and says, what do you mean? then I know, okay, this needs to be in place. And otherwise, uh, even if the regulator hasn't asked yet, because otherwise things can go wrong later on and, and blow up in our face. Yes, yes. But but what I don't understand, and this might be a naive statement, is, okay, we are in a pre-regulatory environment, as you call it. But the case of FTX is, it's just an exchange. The fact that it was trading crypto and not stocks or options or or any you know other financial product why does it matter couldn't shouldn't the regulator in the bahamas apply the same sort of rules and checks and balances as a regular um uh, exchange or brokerage yeah. business so the short answer is yes the regulator in the Bahamas um, should, you know, oversee uh, an exchange as an exchange. Now, what 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 feeds into this uh, in the complexity here is, of course, that this is an exchange that deals with crypto, uh, and that means that there are some uh, risks in there which are not so typical for regular exchanges, and so the regulator will need to be able to understand what crypto is all about. I mean, there are technology-specific risks. Uh, that we have in crypto, which we don't have in other in other markets. So, um, so on the one hand, and this is by the way also an important feature of due diligence. Uh, so, if I say that we have a standard kind of process for due diligence, the risks that we have in this space are uh, partly the same uh, as in other investment areas, but also partly different. If you think about smart contract risk and oracle risk, and so on and so forth, and so. The, uh, in this case, the, the regulator, uh, you would have to ask yourself, you know, what was the license under which that, that the Bahamas regulator gave, uh, if any, and how did they satisfy themselves that the risks were managed uh, appropriately? Um, I agree with you when you started out a few minutes ago. Uh, this is not per se a crypto blockchain problem that we have seen blowing up here, uh, even though it is, uh, there's, there's an element of it, of course. This is first and foremost uh, a complete failure of uh, yeah of governance of risk management and on the investor side of due diligence clearly i mean there, there's no smart contract here involved there's no you know uh, it wasn't a failure of of the wallets or or any anything really that is you know crypto native yeah. uh, everything uh, that at least for now we know that went wrong could have gone wrong in a regular uh, business. And, and 
what's amazing, you mentioned that FTX did not have a board. Does that mean that the VCs, and especially the lead VC that invested in them, did not have a seat on the board? I mean, I thought that was standard and, and typical in any VC investment, if you're the lead investor or after a certain size uh, and so on. Well, that's a good question. The I think what I've heard in the news is things like, um, you know, SBF is going to be the first trillionaire. And so even if you can have a small piece of that as a VC investor, then uh, this is attractive. Um, you have to ask yourself what procedures did they follow? I think it becomes clear that many have just been co-investing and, and relied on somebody else who didn't uh, also did not do the uh, due diligence. Um, you know, with all love and respect for my friends in the VC world, I mean, we have now seen so many VCs coming up. Everybody nowadays is a VC. In this case, of course, we have uh, the most well-known name from the VC world uh, going in. Um, you know, the negotiations, what went wrong, how were they uh, sort of fooled into this? That is something that I'm not privy to. Um, is it standard to be on the board? Well, uh, if there is no board, then they would have to have relied on what they've seen in their so-called due diligence and also with the idea of we'll follow it continuously. We don't need somebody else, a governance body to do that for us. Uh, and I think that this is a misjudgment. Yeah, and especially when we're talking about a, a company that, as you said, was expected to become a trillion dollar company. And, and in that case, what we are realizing is that it's it affects whole economies. It's affecting the economy of the Bahamas. It's affecting the economy of Miami. And, and you know, I don't know where else. And I'm talking about you know, the guy that was selling coffees, the, the restaurant guy, the hotel guy, you know, the whole economy that is built around a, um, an ecosystem, right? That's right. You know, the um, I think that uh, we need to be aware that in this kind of situation, the risk that's being taken is the risk with other people's money. 10 billion transaction volume a day, a million customers, um, so the risk that FTX took was the risk that they did with other people's money, not with their own money, for, let's say at, at the first stage. Yes. That's one. And I think what the Bahamas regulator also needs to understand, uh, but anybody that's doing risk oversight is this reputational risk. I think the value destruction, you know, by a simple estimate is well over $100 billion uh, right there. And it, I'm certain that somebody's doing the numbers right now it will come maybe to a higher number market impact, uh, opportunity cost, uh, funding not flowing, you name it. And so and all kind of secondary uh, exposures, let's say. And so I think that from an oversight perspective, this contagion risk also needs to be taken into account. What does it do to the Bahamas? Uh, who is going to trust the Bahamas regulator now going forward, right? So I think that it is not just, if I say regulation oversight over the exchange and the risk that is in the exchange itself, but it, it, it goes well beyond uh, the, uh, the, the operational risk or the trading risk that matter at, at an exchange, uh, which already by itself is serious enough if you know that it's all other people's money and not, uh, uh, and not their own, uh, certainly not in their commingling kind of style of uh, running the business. 
In your opinion, Elko, I mean, I know you, you are not only uh, doing business around governance um, uh, around the world, but you, you are very much focused uh, in the blockchain space. Which jurisdictions do you think have understood in advance before this blow up the importance of, of um, uh, governance in the digital asset space Broadly speaking, I'm not talking only exchanges. Yeah. Um, so overall, uh, governance is a misunderstood, um, um, let's say, element of this. Uh, and it is also not used enough. So the short answer is that uh, I wouldn't know any uh, jurisdiction which, uh, which gives this uh, the attention that is needed. Um, having said that, we see, of course, elements of uh, which feed into governance, which some jurisdictions have uh, have already put in place. And so we see regulatory regulations coming in place in, in Europe. We have regulations in Switzerland, for example. Um, we have uh, legal certainty around coins in Switzerland and some other countries. So these are all elements which help in uh, with due diligence and also help with with governance. But the requirement to put proper governance in place and what that means, that is something that um, uh, in the digital space uh, is not specifically singled out yet. Now, having said that, if you look at uh, investment funds in this space, in blockchain and crypto, then obviously investment funds uh, are underlying the governance for the investment fund industry. And so exchanges, a similar story should be, right? And crypto banks are have used and need to have a banking license. And so um, if we lean on, let's say, the existing frameworks of, of governance or of regulation, I should say, then, uh, you know, there are many well-developed um, uh, centers. Um, having said that, the, the um, you know, what it then means the implement in the implementation phase, how is governance then being done? Do they have people on the board that uh, that understand what they're looking at? That is some that requirement is not uh, it's not strong enough yet. As I say, it's an underused it's an underused mechanism, and it's a pity because uh, I will say this: uh, I think if we had some governance in place, then um, we may not have completely avoided the damage, but the magnitude of the damage, uh, in my mind, would have been much much smaller. Same with Terra Luna earlier this year. Uh, and, and that's something that a governance body, of course, is tasked to uh, to look into. To, to plus, plus the reputational and tainting damage uh, that yeah. that is on top of of all um, uh, this. And you know, uh, when all this happened, um, I can't um, help but think of, especially uh, protocols. Um, in their uh, structures, their treasury structures, they, they have a lot of money. They have a big war chest compared, yeah. you know, to, to just regular private companies. And, and there I wonder again, do we have proper governance um, uh, or not? And, and um, <clears throat> will this become a reason to sort of improve uh, these these uh, standards because there again we, we're talking about something completely new right uh, um, the legal structures that the protocols have with i mean they're, they're born here in switzerland right the the, the structure 
Yeah, there are a couple of things to say about this. Um, to the extent that these treasuries are packed in a foundation structure, for example, um, the, the regulatory environment around this is very light. Uh, and uh, the foundation regulator is typically not used to foundations which operate in this space. And so um, the governance of the foundation itself uh, then becomes uh, really, really important. Uh, and so uh, that is something to, to look into. Then if you look at the governance of, of, of protocols, this requires a very careful design, especially now that we're moving into Web3, where basically we give away, if you will, almost functionality to people who then um, work with protocols themselves uh, without much influence uh, of the developers, you know, but these whole economies build up around these protocols, that governance design uh, becomes absolutely critical for trust uh, and for valuation, because you can imagine that uh, if it blows up at some stage, the values first skyrocket and then drop to zero, a lot of people and trust leaves the room and a lot of people are just going to be disappointed. So that is on that side. On the Treasury DAOs, I think we need to recognize that um, the, the DAO in general cannot cover everything that we need from a governance perspective, uh, certainly not if we look at cases of um, uh, conflicts, uh, if we're looking at interaction with uh, uh, off-chain uh, bodies and so on, with the legal uh, structure and so on. And so um, it is not so easy to design uh, uh, a treasury DAO which fulfills all the all the ambitions also of all the ecosystem participants. And so uh, this goes well beyond things like voting structures, uh, functionalities around coins and so on. Um, and that also requires uh, careful thinking and design. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not straightforward. It, it looks straightforward because people do not necessarily know what governance is. Uh, they just speak about it. Um, and as a result, it looks simple, but uh, it needs careful thought. Mm -hmm. uh, there are not so many which um, uh, out there uh, which I think uh, do enough, a uh, you know, good enough job uh, of this, even though there are a few that, uh, of course, recognize that this is important. But then the question comes, now what? Uh, and here I'd like to say something which is, um, you know, which I think is also in the FTX case visible. Um, you know, the, there is some merit uh, to getting some governance experience on, on, on board, let's say, in some kind of capacity uh, and, and not just uh, somebody who's you know, potentially smart, uh, potentially not, and, and talks fast about, uh, about a technology. That is just not enough to run uh, big exposures. Uh, as you and I both know and experienced, and many of maybe the viewers as well, before you get to run uh, hundreds of millions or 100 million upwards of plus of funds, uh, for in an asset manager or in a treasury function, you have to be fairly senior. You have to have, you know, uh, you have to get some experience before. And so uh, the lack of experience that uh, that people have in this space, uh, uh, you know, is, is, scary. is something. Is, is scary. Something, yeah, is there, it's scary. And, and what I, luckily I come across many bright young entrepreneurs in this space that realize this and they want to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is your opinion about um, um, suggested um, 
best practice uh, that uh, CZ has suggested uh, around proof of uh, reserves. And today I was reading that uh, Jesse Powell, uh, the CEO of Kraken, is you know completely trashing it and then saying that you know proof of reserves won't work unless you have proof of liabilities. How yeah. do you see this? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's uh, um, uh, you know we need to applause uh, CZ's initiative. Uh, that he wants to have this open discussion around um, about disclosing um, and 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 projecting again what I call projecting trust to uh, to to the wider public. Now, um, I think what Jesse Powell correctly is saying is that this discussion needs to be broader than just proof of reserves. Uh, how are these reserves made up? Uh, what's the valuation of these reserves, and so on. Uh, liabilities clearly uh, is something that people are interested in, and maybe others. And so if I'm going to make a comparison, you know, to with these very large and important players like uh, Binance and, and Kraken, uh, and others, of course, um, then I think the comparison should be that we look at things like the Basel framework for banks, where there's requirements around capital adequacy, uh, and also governance, by the way, uh, the two big pillars there, uh, requirements for listing rules. If you look at the stock exchanges, what do they require in terms of disclosures? Um, uh, as I say, from the investment fund side of things, what do they require? And are there lessons in there uh, that we can apply to uh, the blockchain space? And I think the answer is going to be yes. So I think that the uh, we don't need to sort of um, polarize this discussion too much. Uh, I, as I say, I think it's fantastic that uh, two such uh, uh, exposed entrepreneurs uh, are taking part in this debate and are suggest come up with suggestions which help uh, the industry uh, forward. Because as I mentioned before, the damage out of this is way more than just the whole of eight to ten billion in the balance sheet of FTX. Clearly, clearly. I mean, the names of of companies like Dune Analytics and Nansen are are coming up frequently. Yeah. Um, I I'm familiar with those who probably there's more in the space and and everybody's talking about you know um uh sort of using these because if i understand correctly they provide on-chain analytics and if you're a pure blockchain business it's like you could have real time uh, balance sheet income state your your financials up there yeah um, although i'm not sure that that quite works i mean in a lab situation right um but do you think that we'll be heading there um i think ethereum has their on-chain data with dune analytics and maybe there's other yeah. calls. yeah so um two three things the first thing uh so yes this is the direction of travel we will see more uh, uh, providers of these kind of services, which help us in uh, due diligence, in ongoing monitoring, and so on. Um, uh, at the same time, the um, you know we need to watch out that the data that we get is actually also the data that we need, and so uh, you know that we also understand what what these data actually show. And uh, and so that you know you can sort of outsource the production of this data and be a consumer of it, but 
but you cannot outsource a fiduciary responsibility that you actually uh, understand what you're looking at and make decisions on it. So we see all kinds of um, uh, providers coming on, on coming online uh, with services around blockchain, which I think is very helpful. I think one of the most important, though, uh, services that we need to that we need to develop is, uh, you know, a lot more robust kind of assurance, uh, like what the uh, accounting firms do, uh, give a stamp, a stamp of approval after the year is over. Let's say these kind of assurance uh, services um, need to be required. They need to be offered by providers, uh, and we need to be able to rely on them. So uh, is that, you know, is that that goes a little bit further, if you will, than just providing the analytics. Mind you, I think with some of the dashboard providers, um, you can specify what data you want as well. And so uh, that means that the ask of an analytics provider is very, very important. Do we understand what we're asking or are we missing something out? And so that is uh, that has becomes an issue uh, as well. So I think that is a very positive development. Um, early stage yeah i mean it, even in in the mature traditional space what to measure in a risk report or you know in general what to monitor uh, under risk management is is not always evident right and, right and naturally in this space there are going to be blind spots it's a very new space we're not sure uh, what we understand and more importantly, to interpret, because everybody talks about, oh, it's on the blockchain, therefore transparent. But I I don't understand any of that. You know, it's out there. So what what does that tell me, right? That's All right. these addresses or or flow movements and charts. What does it mean, right? That's right. And 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 we're lacking as as an industry. Uh, we're not there yet. So regulators are not there yet, but also many investors are not there yet. Uh, many participants are not there yet. Um, they, they talk about it, uh, but uh, there are not so many who actually know the detail. Yeah. Are there any bodies that companies in, in the crypto space can join that uh, the, these industry bodies are, uh, are more focused around uh, good governance, from which they can share practices or learn or, you know, join to overcome this difficult period? Yeah. I think that's the sort of the sad answer is no. Uh, I mean, there are many governance bodies out there which propagate uh, good governance and so on. I'm also associated with a couple. Uh, they're typically play in the corporate governance space, in the investment uh, fund governance space. Um, which is quite different from uh, still from crypto and blockchain. Uh, there are some private initiatives uh, that I know, uh, I know of one in New York, I know of one in London, um, that are trying to make inroads uh, in this uh, in this space. There are probably others as well, uh, but it is it's a bit, it is fairly very early uh, stage there as well. I think though that the, that, that there are lessons, you know, from. Uh, as I say, from corporate governance, from um, uh, investment governance that we can take. So I think the closest that you can get is when you get to speak to people like me, if you will, that mm -hmm. sort of bridge that bridge those uh, bridge that space. Um, in the traditional corporate investment governance space, it is not so obvious. Uh, you know, it's not so obvious that 
um, people are able and willing to make uh, make the jump, if you will, and, and bridge over because it does require uh, some work. Um, I must say that for me, it started now five, six years ago, and so I've been in it now. Uh, but for people today, uh, it is it is work. Um, it is not a not an easy task. Yeah. Again, I mean, we're going back to to G for governance, which we spoke about uh, a, a while ago. That it is uh, misunderstood, mis uh, you know uh, undervalued, if you want, and not uh, discussed it enough. Um, and like always, only when there's these types of um, I don't want to use the word accident. What's the right word? What shall I say? <laughs> yeah, it's. I agree with you. It's not accident. We need to check intent. Um, it is also ignorance. Um, you know, there's a lot coming by. I agree with you. Uh, governance is, in many cases, your only ally. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, but it also goes against to against this, um, you know, uh, growth at uh, at at any cost and and you know obsession about um, uh, I became a unicorn in in just six months my valuation doubled or tripled or went up 10 times in the shortest period yeah. it's all you know this business culture doesn't help right it doesn't I I was thinking about that today as well my my son is learning piano and uh, and the question is, how good is he going to become? And then I think, uh, if you think about the pianist Lang Lang, right, the Chinese uh, yeah. uh, world wonder pianist, there's a reason why there's only one Lang Lang. Uh, and so we, not everybody can be a unicorn. Not everybody can be a Lang Lang. Uh, not everybody can be a Ronaldo. Uh, and so uh, I think we need to be uh, honest about uh, about these things. If my son is doing well piano, I, I applaud him. I do not expect him to become a lung lung. Yes, but it's also not, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that he's not succeeding. There's other aspects to it, right? That's right. And he has good governance because I provide governance for him on, on his journey. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the road to a unicorn, um, you need to be able to be trustworthy and uh, to, to your stakeholders and so on. And so, that that helps you uh, moving moving forward, not by being uh, riskless and being lucky. Um, that is, uh, that and, is something and, else. And it depends if the goal is to have a sustainable business, then right. the first goal is not to become a unicorn as fast as possible. And then, you know, uh, it, it's more to, to have a sustainable business, right? I, I recently saw somebody who said, I prefer to be a camel than a unicorn. Right, yeah. because the camel is resilient; it can do without water and and survives, and, and all of these qualities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, we we do live live in interesting uh, times, and let's see if uh, uh, we get more. Uh, I like to think of um, the dolphin businesses rather than the shark businesses. I'm thinking, you know, the animal um, animal analogies, but in the water. So it's, uh, I see, you know, coming from Wall Street, I've seen sharks, I've seen piranhas, you know, the small ones that, that really can, um, can bite and are very aggressive. And then there's the dolphins. So uh, yeah. let's see uh, if we can get more dolphins uh, out there. But we all know that it really depends on the people, right? 
it's uh, it's sad because what happened now uh, withdraws funding from beautiful new projects uh, which have a lot of good people in place and so on. Uh, everybody is suffering uh, again. So the, the 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 project that CZ launched with the one billion fund is in that sense uh, a beautiful initiative. Um, which is, by the way, is not just venture capital, right? I mean, there's going to be things like turnaround qualities, uh, uh, synergies in projects and so on. So this is not just charity, if you will. Um, uh, so I agree with you. We, we, you know, we don't need more sharks. We need, uh, and we have many people who just want to build sustainable businesses on this. So, and, and, and blockchain as an infrastructure clearly has so many cross-industry uh, uh, use cases, be it in agriculture, be it be be it in social impact in in so many in manufacturing and so on and and this is a huge damage because it's going to uh impact great businesses with great you know um impact and 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 potential absolutely and we see this happening as i say vc funding not flowing uh vcs that tell me that they are investing but at the same time they're sitting on 70 percent dry powder valuations are down so actually time should be good uh which hurts founders and so on it's uh yeah it's, as you say it's it's a mess i know social a social impact blockchain which has difficulties even though uh, doing very well uh in terms of funding it's uh that's what i'm saying the damage is well beyond uh ftx and well beyond the uh the investors uh that lost money on ftx well, this is again. Let's let's hope uh, that lessons are are learned and and we continue with optimism and uh, you know spreading spreading the good uh, word, right, uh, Elko? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We charge forward, and I'm certain that many people who are seeing this also charging forward as before. Yes. Uh, in that sense, before FTX, if you were positive, uh, you know, there's no reason not to be positive now. There's a lot of beautiful developments going on in DeFi um, and so on and so forth. So there's, uh, you know, to the extent we can, that the funding is there, we need to charge forward. Okay, Elko, thank you so much for this discussion. And I'm sure that, I hope that next time we'll be getting together and discussing something much more uh, positive. I will ping you when I have a couple of examples that I'm working on. Thank you, Effie. Great. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.